Obviously, we've all had a little bit more time on our hands. Uh, We have been together at home, and uh, we have decided that this is the moment where Doreen and I sit down with the kids and watch Lord of the Rings, the movie trilogy. Now, I heard recently, and I was shocked that uh, they made a book out of this movie, which was interesting uh, because, uh, anyway, that was just a, a brief joke. Uh, yeah, so we've been watching these movies, and um, uh, there's this one moment uh, in, the, in the first movie, uh, The Fellowship of the Ring, that, that, that stands out as we watched it the other night. It's this calm moment, this conversation that takes place between Frodo and Gandalf in the Mines of Moria. It's a, it's a calm moment because there's such intensity in the movie that all of a sudden it just slows down and it's a conversation between Frodo and Gandalf. And Frodo says to Gandalf, I wish the ring had never come to me. And he says, I wish none of this had happened. And I wonder if some of us are, are feeling that uh, same thing right now, that this, this uh, crisis that we face as a world, as the, uh, 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 across the globe, is one that we wish never would have happened. We can understand how Frodo feels that way, feeling the weight of carrying that ring, feeling the weight of all the things that we need to do right now. And Gandalf, as he uh, says to Frodo, says this, he says, so do all that see such times, sympathizing with that reality. He goes on to say, but that's not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. There are many decisions right now that we just simply can't make. So many things out of our control as we face COVID-19 and the coronavirus. And and it would do us well to not try to make decisions or control things that are out of our control, that aren't our decisions. All we can do is make a decision with the time that is given to us. And in God's providence and sovereignty, He's allowed these things, and this is the time that has given to us. And so we wonder, in these times, what should we do? Where do we turn in moments like these? Is there any hope in moments like these? Is there any assurance in moments like these? So many of us are dealing with a lot of questions about health and jobs in the future. How long this is going to go on? And the question becomes, to what do we turn? What do we do? On what do we place our hope? And for us, each and every week, as a church, we gather to turn our attention to the Word of God, and we're going to do that right now. The Word of God is our hope, the source of our hope. It has much to say to us in moments like these. There are many things that we cannot decide that are out of our control, and yet God comes to us and He speaks to us clearly from His Word in such a way to give us hope and encouragement. And so we turn this morning to Psalm 90. Grab your Bibles if you're home and open them up to Psalm 90. Uh, I believe that will be on the screen as well. You can follow along with us. This is written, again, just like last week, centuries ago. Written by a man named Moses, a leader of the people of Israel, who was really leading and living in the middle of two days. Days in which the people of Israel were in Egypt in Uh, enslaved to the Egyptians, journeying through the wilderness, awaiting the arrival 
of their promised land, getting to the promised land that God had given to them. And he was in a moment of uncertainty, or at least it could lead to uncertainty, where he's clinging to hope, exhausted, dealing with the heat of the desert. And he has something to say to us today from Psalm 90. Listen to these words, Psalm 90, verses 1 through 17. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream. Like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. And by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we, we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. And if you're listening, all of God's people said, of course, Amen. Amen. Home. When you think about home, here we are, homebound these days, told to go home and stay home. When you think about home, what kinds of feelings uh, conjure up inside of you? What particular images come to your mind? Well, for the most part, we would see home as a place of security. We would see place, home as a place of refuge, a place of rest, of comfort, of family and meaning and purpose, a place to go uh, and have a refuge uh, from the chaos of work, culture, and society, a place that we enjoy and long to be. It gives us a sense of roots and meaning to our daily lives. Now, we recognize that not everybody has those kinds of feelings, right? For many, home can be a place of division and discord and conflict, anything but safety. 
That, that's a place where uh, you're not safe, you're not secure. And so we recognize that. But we understand that for uh, most, the, the understanding is that's what home is. And yet, when Moses thinks about home, he thinks about something quite different. And yet, connects it to that. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. You have been our dwelling place in all generations. He's looking to God in the midst of his moment. And he's saying, Lord, you're our home. You see, he had just come from Egypt, as I've already said. For him, home was something in the past. Being raised in Egypt, into the palace, under the, into the, uh, under the power and prosperity of Pharaoh. And that had been taken from him. And for good reason. As the Lord had appeared to him and raised him up as the leader of Israel. And to bring them out of Egypt. And for 430 years to lead them. God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt with a strong arm. And he promised them to bring them to a new land. A land flowing with milk and honey. And here in this moment, Moses walking with the people, leading the people moving from place to place uh, as nomads all the way through that uh, desert and peninsula, we see that Moses, in the midst of the exhaustion, the scorching heat that came from the sun, in the midst of home being a memory, and in the same time being an expectation into the future, probably a future that he couldn't really hold on to, and maybe just simply felt weary and frustrated in the moment. What does he say? He says, yes, from a physical point of view, we are all but homeless. We're living in tents in the wilderness. But he's saying, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. All the way back to when you uh, chose a people through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, sustaining your love for us, your steadfast love and faithfulness through all generations, you are our home. Meaning you are our place of refuge, you are our security, you are our strength, you are where we find meaning, you are our hope and security. You are our home. As the people of God, wherever we are, whatever we face, we always have a home in God. That's what Moses is saying, and we join him this morning in recognizing that the Lord is our home. He is the one that we find rest and security and place of meaning, a place of escape from all the chaos and difficulty that we face in moments like these. But what more about this God who is our home? He says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That the Lord, who is our home, is no one less than the eternal God who created the world. What a profound reality to say. That we, as a people living in this time, as the people of God, we, a people living in this time, find our home in a God that has existed eternally. That in these moments, we run into the arms and into the security of an eternal God who has always existed 
in eternity past, if we can get our mind around that, and in eternity future, if we can get our mind around that, it is, it's impossible to think like that, the eternity past and eternity future in the moment. It seems so far beyond us, and the reason is, is because it is God's eternal nature. He existed before the world was made, before He created it. That tells us as well that He's self-sufficient, that He's not dependent on any other created thing or being in order to exist. He is a self-existent God. And so when Moses looks to the Lord and says, you have been our dwelling place in all generations, he's clinging to the reality that in this temporal moment, he is finding rest and security in the eternal God that is self-sufficient, and now we get to depend upon him. Rest in Him. And so really, in moments like these, we, like Moses, we run home to our eternal God. That's what we do in the moments that we face today as a people. We run home to our eternal God. You remember uh, that moment in Forrest Gump, another movie uh, uh, reference this morning. Forrest Gump, where he's running all over the country, running mile upon mile through state upon state. He's going, as I understand it, for years. He's growing that beard. He looks all scraggly. He has been running and running. And finally, he comes to a moment where he just stops in the middle of nowhere with people who had been inspired by him, following him along the way. He just stops. He turns around and he looks at them and he says, I'm tired. I'm going to go home now. And I wonder if for you, that's not what's taking place right here in this moment. In the midst of your exhaustion and uncertainty, in the midst of just feeling sapped by your experience right now, you've come to the end of running away from God, of turning to yourself, of turning to other things that the world lays out for you. And this isn't a moment that seems so awkward in world history where he's brought you to a halt. He stopped you. He's got your attention in the midst of your exhaustion. And now the moment has come for you to return home to God. Return and run home into the arms of the eternal God. That's what this is calling us to in these times. A running home. Now for some of us, that running home is, is going to is a long run home. You've gone far away from God. You've relied on yourself for quite some time. You've ignored the existence and the reality of God, and you've, you've, you've relegated His nature to some, some fable, some, some uh, uh, crutch for weak people. You've done that for so long and for, in so many aspects of your life that this just feels... That, run home to God. For some of you, It's just simply a reorientation and you're coming in from the yard for dinner. Run home to God in these moments. Stop running away from Him. He is your home. He is your true home. This eternal truth about who He is puts our lives into proper context. In this moment, we're faced with the eternal reality of who God is and who we are. 
And that's really important. Right? Knowledge and wisdom comes from recognizing who God is and who we are in contrast. John Calvin says this, nearly all of the wisdom which we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists in two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. God is eternal and self-existent. Our existence on earth is temporary. It's brief. And that's what Moses goes on to say. Verses 3-17 through 17 really show the brevity of our earthly existence, the tragedy of our sin, and the severity of God's wrath against that sin. And as we'll see, the abundance of God's provision of grace to people like you and me. We see the brevity of human existence is emphasized by Moses. He says, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. He goes on to say that the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is is but of toil and trouble. Soon they're gone. We all fly away. So as Moses considers the eternal existence of God, he comes face to face with the brevity and frailty of human existence. I mean, as he's wandered through the wilderness with Israel, what has he seen? He's seen people die before ever getting to the promised land. He's seen... uh, People pass away, that, they, that their life is but a breath that comes and it's gone. Seventy years, maybe 80. Life expectancy in the United States is, is about 79. But that seems like a long time, but I'm telling you at 41, it's approaching quicker and quicker. Life seems faster and brief the older I get. I think in these moments, we do come face to face with the brevity and the frailty of human existence. That our life is vulnerable, that it's brief, and that in, especially in, in contrast to the, to the nature of God who exists eternally, this is a brief moment in which we live. We also see the source of that brevity. Right? It's, it's because of death. Death. We face it. There are days that come, we just realize we're face to face with the reality of death. I've had the privilege and opportunity over the years to to walk alongside people in their moments of sorrow at a funeral. To to watch them weep and cry and, and deal with the brevity of human life and the inevitability of death. Because the death rate is 100%. It's something that none of us can, can avoid. It's what we face. And to walk with people through those moments is a privilege. And, and I always find myself in those moments of watching people weep in sorrow, very real pain of losing someone they love. I can't help but inside of me say, there's something not right about this. There's something wrong about this. This should not be. We should be together. We should be alive, not dead. And it brings me face to face 
with the, the source and the cause of our brevity, the source and cause of our death. And that's the tragedy of our sin. Moses in the wilderness, as he's watching people die and not make it to the promised land, is face to face with the tragedy of the sin of the people. Not to mention his own sin, as he's been uh, 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 given a consequence by God to never be able to enter that land himself, even as the leader of Israel. He says this, You've set our iniquities before you, verse 8, our secret sins in the light of your presence. It's a reminder of why we die. And it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve disobeyed the commands of the Lord. They did not, they believed the lie of the serpent and they did not obey the word of the Lord. And remember what God said to Adam and Eve. He said, the day you eat of this, you shall surely die, shall surely die. So death is a sure consequence for sinners, and it is a just consequence. That's the tension that I feel at a funeral, is that this is wrong, this shouldn't be. And at the very same time, we recognize that it is an a, uh, a, uh, a act of God's just wrath on us. And all of us who are listening right now may be feeling the, the weight of what I'm getting at here. Maybe thinking, why is he talking about sin and God's wrath when we're dealing with a sickness and a virus? we got a temporal situation that we're trying to avoid and deal with right now. Why is he talking about sin and death? I think that's the opportunity that we can't miss. And it's very easy for us in these times to be thinking just temporal, just immediate, just on the surface, just looking at what's in front of us. But the, 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 the beauty of what we're able to do right now is to see this temporary moment in light of eternity, to ask the deeper questions, to look at the deeper issue, to recognize that COVID-19 is a virus that is clearly wreaking havoc on the globe, but never to the extent of the greatest virus that has infected all of humanity, and that is our sinful state and our rebellion against God. In the midst of this moment where we are stewarding it, doing all that we can to avoid the, the, uh, receiving this virus and spreading this virus to other people that are vulnerable, please don't get lost in all of the temporary uh, uh, focus and miss out on the opportunity that as God brings your life to a halt, for you to consider the eternal realities, the deeper virus that has infected your heart and soul that does eventually bring about your death. The reality is this, is that we, most of us will be fine. We will escape this COVID-19. Even if we get infected, we will heal. But none of us has a solution for the deeper virus of our heart. And this very thing that brings us face to face with the severity of God's wrath. We're all brought to an end by your anger, verse 7 and 9. By your wrath we are dismayed, for all our days pass under your wrath. Moses knows the brevity of human life. 
Moses knows the tragedy of human sin. Moses understands the severity of God's wrath. And in that moment, confronted with it, face to face, he's giving us a revelation here to say this. Run home to God and rely upon his infinite grace. Rely upon his grace. In this moment where we have no self-solution to deal with our greatest issue, all we can do is throw ourselves into to the feet of a merciful God. And that's exactly what Moses does. You see the end of this, verses 12 through 17, Moses is, is turning to God and, and relying upon God's infinite grace. I think that's what we're called to do in this moment as the people of God. We run home to our eternal God. And we rely upon His infinite grace. That's what Moses does. And he turns now to pray on behalf of the people. He seeks the Lord. This God of eternity. This God of wrath. He also knows that He is a God of grace. And that's why we're in this series in the Psalms. Because there's good news for us from the Psalms. There's good news about God's grace for us in these passages. He says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In this moment, God, where we're faced with the brevity of human life, in this moment where we deal with our frailty, where we come face to face with the real issue, our sin, where we recognize your just wrath upon it, that death is inevitable and it's a consequence for our sin. Oh God, teach us something. Teach us to number our days so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. He says, return, O Lord, how long? If you look back to verse uh, 2, he says that that God is telling us to return to the dust. You love that prayer. No, Lord, you return. Before you return us to the dust, Lord, would you return? You seem so far and absent from us, walking through the desert. But Lord, would you return to us? How much longer, Lord, before we make it to the promised land? How much longer for us as we walk through these moments together? Lord, return to us. May your presence be known in the midst of us. Have pity on us. We confess our sin. We know we've rebelled against you. We understand that we've gotten lost in the temporal realities and we've forgotten you. We have, we've turned our eye away from our Creator. We've we've assumed that we can do it all on our own. And God, our only hope is your pity. Have pity on us, O God. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. That we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad, Lord. For as many days as you've afflicted us. Let your work be shown to your servants. Your glorious power to their children. He's basically praying, God, in the midst of this moment... Do something powerful. Do something to to change our reality, to bring life and joy and satisfaction to our experience. He's coming to to the end of himself saying, there's nothing we can do. We have no power, Lord. So you, Lord, do a mighty work in our day. Work powerfully and let it be seen and enjoyed and may you receive all the praise for it. 
And so in this time, we rely on His grace. We cry out for Him to move in our day. And let the favor of the Lord God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands. All that we're doing now, Lord, together as a community, loving one another, establish the work of our hands. All in all, Moses is praying a prayer for the people of Israel. He's simply crying out, God, in the face of brevity, in the face of sin, in the, in the face of your wrath, would you please bless us with your grace? Because we're dependent people. Moses knows that. That hope is in God. Grace is available and given to the people of God. And he's just crying out for it. Is that where your soul is this morning? In the midst of your moment? Whatever, however this situation is affecting you, are you turning to yourself? Are you just trying to figure it out? Are you resting and trusting in government officials? Are you looking to the solutions of doctors only? Or are you wholly dependent upon God and His grace? That's where Moses is. He's dependent upon the Lord. And again, this prayer was, was prayed thousands of years ago in the middle of the wilderness. We begin to wonder, does God ever answer such a prayer? Does God hear this prayer of Moses on behalf of the people of Israel? The question is yes. The answer is yes. He has. He's answered this prayer time and time again. God answers the prayer of his people who cry out for grace in these moments. But ultimately, we see that every promise of God, every provision of grace is fully and perfectly and sufficiently given in Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the answer to every one of these prayers. A prayer for pity. A prayer for His presence returning to us. A prayer for satisfaction. A prayer for His work to be done. For a powerful act of mercy to be done. For blessing. All of that has been answered in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I want you to see that this morning. That God has answered this prayer in Jesus the prayer of Moses has come to pass and it has been answered. We're not still waiting this answer. We have it in Jesus. That's the beautiful news that we have together. That 2,000 years ago, uh, Jesus came to this earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And He died on a cross in our place. That yes, the severity of God's wrath had to be poured out on, uh, uh, for sin. But the wonderful news of the gospel is that Jesus came and He died on a cross in our place and He absorbed all of that wrath. So there's, for the Christian, for the one who trusts in Jesus, there is no more fear of wrath and anger. As the scriptures say, God has not destined us for wrath, but for salvation. To be saved from our sins. To be blessed with God's grace. To deal an eternal vaccine to the humanity's most problematic virus. Sin. That's what Jesus did when He came. 
That's what this is all about. That's why we continue to preach and proclaim the word. Because God has done something sufficiently and perfectly in Jesus Christ. And he's done so to deal with our sin. He came. He lived. He died. He absorbed all of that righteous anger on himself. So that we would not need to absorb it. He became our substitute. And now for all those who place their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, for those who run home to God in repentance and rely upon God in faith, by faith in Jesus Christ, they are saved. They are blessed. They enjoy all of the answers to these prayers. In such a wonderful invitation Jesus gives to his disciples in John chapter 15. What does he say? As he's illustrating their relationship to him and his relationship to the Father as the eternal God. He calls himself the vine. And he calls his disciples the branches. And what does he say? He says, abide in me. And he says, and I abide in you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Abide in my love. My love is given to you. Greater love hath no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did. And when he was here, he commanded his disciples to dwell in him, to live in him. Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. And that's exactly what salvation accomplishes for us. It gives us the sure privilege of living and abiding in Jesus, the vine. And the Bible says that we bear much fruit and so prove to be his disciples. We live in a real, vibrant relationship to God through Jesus Christ. And our life is an expression of that grace, an experience of divine blessing. What a privilege we have as the people of God. Saved from sin, saved from wrath, abiding in Christ himself, united to him in his death and resurrection. I'm telling you this morning, in moments like these, we run home to the God that made us. We run home to the God who's existed eternally. We run home and rest secure in Him. And we rely on His infinite grace in Jesus Christ. I pray that this morning, in whatever challenge you're facing, however this is affecting you, that your posture would simply be this. Run home to God. Rely upon His infinite grace in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for this Word, this truth that we can cling to. We thank You so much for Your nature, Your eternal, Your self-existent, Your self-sufficient, and You are our home. God, we come to you and we confess our sins together. We admit our disobedience toward you. We cry out for your infinite grace. Lord, we pray that as we trust in you, that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would bear a fruit for your glory in our lives. 
Enable us now to abide in Jesus, to trust in Him, to receive His life, and rejoice in the hope of eternal life. Yes, Lord, we recognize that physically death may take its hold on us. But because of Christ, faith in Him, we understand that He didn't just die, but that He rose from the dead. And we too can walk in newness of life and live in the joyful hope and expectation of eternal life in Him. Lord, I pray right now that as people are discouraged and and confused and disoriented and scared, I pray that you would be near to them, that you would minister to them. Think about people that have lost their jobs or losing hours. Lord, I pray you provide for every need. Lord, we pray that you continue to strengthen the church through this time. Strengthen marriages and families as people are home. They can't ignore some of the issues they've got to work on. Pray that you would enable fathers and mothers to invest in their children. Lord, keep us from overindulgence on screens, but may our attention turn towards you. Lord, you have a purpose in all of this. We submit to it. We trust in you. We find our rest in you. And we rely upon your grace. Oh God, grant us this grace. We thank you that it's ours in Jesus Christ. Amen.